0: get up get out there raise your voice against liars feed your anger like fire why does nobody want change welcome everybody to the screen looker podcast i am your host martin ben welcome to the show alongside me today i have daniel george how you doing today dg
1: pretty good
0: pretty good what's up not much, man. Living. How you doing, Valentine?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: we'll get into more about why <laughs> Rebecca Valentine is <laughs> sobbing throughout this week and on this show. Uh, so let's start today with the usual. What you been playing, Daniel George?
1: I've been playing Persona 5, as uh, as you so alluded to in the opening there.
0: Oh yeah, that so if you all haven't listened to the opening theme song for Persona 5, it is brilliant. Um, and the lyrics are composed by a man named Benjamin Franklin. So how can you deny him? So What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I Wait, looked up what? The, <laughs> I looked up the lyrics and <laughs> composed and arranged by Meguro Shuji, uh, lyrics by Benjamin Franklin, performed by Simply Lynn.
1: L-Y-N, that's L-I-N. right.
0: L-Y-N. <laughs> yeah, uh, Persona Five's intro, man. I, I've never played a Persona game, probably will never play Persona 5, but I dig this intro, so.
1: <laughs> you don't have 100 hours minimum to play a Persona game?
0: No, and I don't have a device to play it on portably either, so it's not going to happen. <laughs>
1: I was gonna say, like, for until like a few months ago, you did have a PS3, so you could have played it. Yeah. Yeah, it's not gonna happen, unfortunately. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so um, yeah, I'm getting into Persona Five. I just completed the first. Uh, I guess you can call them arcs. So, uh, kind of like the way it works is that every Persona game. This is my first Persona game too. But uh, every Persona game works as you're some sort of high school student going through high school life, learning how to deal with jerk-ass adults, and then you deal with their kind of bullshit.
2: Jerk-ass adults and their bullshit.
1: They literally say shitty adults in one of the texts you get from one of the kids. So, so yeah, in in the beginning you're pretty much like this kid who's transferred to Tokyo. It's Tokyo. It's just pretty much Tokyo. Um you you're you're kind of uh you did something bad in the past. It kind of expands on it and unfolds over time. And uh someone puts you in you're in this like dirty dank room. You sleep on a very small bed in a cot, but it's pretty big for Tokyo overall. It's mm-hmm. it's bigger than 40 square feet. Okay. And uh, and then you have to start school. So they bring you to a school. Everyone treats you as some sort of, like, you know, this just unknown evil. They don't want to deal with you. Everyone's like, oh, you did something in your past. You have a criminal record. We're taking you on good graces. You know, everyone doesn't give you the time of day. And not only that, once you start school, everyone's whispering about you as if you have some criminal record, even though that shouldn't be possible. So... <laughs> there's already a So there's already a kind of like an all the all the odds are leveraged against you, but on the way to school, on your very first day, mm-hmm. some something happens and you're transported to a magical metaverse. Okay. Where there's a bunch of enemies and guys in night suits and who are actually secretly devils or pixies.
2: Hold on, are you allowed to tell us all this or or have we strayed too far into spoiler territory? This
1: is not spoiler territory. This is the basis of every game. I haven't I haven't said who you're with, what's going on in the story, why why you may be in there, I
2: don't know how you want, get I just don't there want Atlas to come after you and Well
1: no, you this is well before July seventh, so Well, well, Rebecca, the problem is that
0: in Atlas's statement to not spoil anything in the game. They started talking about all the people you meet in the game. <laughs> and, like, you could actually say even more than that, DG, because I now know that there's a secret painting that I need to avoid. I need to, I have no that... Uh, I don't remember who, who the person they named in their statement is. I think it's uh, Rigoshi or something like that. Um, but, yeah, they gave away portions of their own game in idea of trying to stop people from giving away portions of the game
1: you're right about that like when I was I was looking for screenshots in the press releases from atlas and I downloaded some one was a character I hadn't seen the other was full of dates and kind of the arcs of that will happen down the line I'm like well this is great Mm mm-hmm
2: well, uh, I guess we gotta take Atlas off of YouTube now.
1: <laughs> it's It was all before July 7th, so they're all fine. Because, uh, yeah, it's based on the calendar system. Like, when I saw July 7th out of 7, I know Persona games go by calendar dates, and you mm-hmm. can only do certain amount of stuff every day. Mm-hmm. But when I saw that, it's like, oh, you can just stream this, you know, you can stream this for the first three months, but then they don't want any spoilers. No, they just don't want it, three in-game months. Gotcha.
0: So yeah, that's that's part of how I was confused about this. I was like, wait, are they telling people not to stream past July 7th, 2017? Like, wouldn't that be a better time to stream? Because, <laughs> like, I was confused. It made no sense to me. I was like, why would they put, why is July 7th? Like, what am I missing from Japan about July 7th? So that makes sense. It makes a lot more sense than what I was
1: thinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, and the thing is, I knew that the Persona games did go by calendar dates, but I still saw it, and it was like, hmm, that's interesting. But uh, it, it would make sense if don't stream it until this date, mm-hmm. you know, because this is this is as I come to learn a little bit before, but more after this Persona Five uh, Atlas controversy that. A lot of these um, visual novels or adventure games or story-based RPGs with a heavy emphasis on story Mm -hmm. from Japan Mm -hmm. usually have some sort of streaming block. But I did not expect screenshot block, which is even worse because now I have to kind of peruse further ahead than I would like to talk about events that have already happened or somehow buy probably have to buy a, an Elgato and buy like a get my laptop try to find it running and just take screens from video Mm-hmm. because uh, otherwise like or maybe even take from a YouTube and hopefully don't get spoiled in the comment section because yeah. now people are just like oh Atlas screw you I'm going to tell you that blah 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 Yeah, and
0: uh, just for a little bit of context for anyone who's listening and is not aware of what we're taught of or or what we're talking about, um, on April 4th, Atlas USA uh, announced that they had some big news about Persona 5 and streaming. So what they're saying is um, they would like to limit all in-game content through the in-game date of July 7th. So that's in-game when it hits July 7th, no one should stream anything after that. And they put a very weirdly threatening uh, message in there that's bold and then also capitalized, um, which says, if you decide to stream past 7-7, I highly recommend not not doing this. You have been warned you do so at the risk of being issued a content ID claim or worse, a channel strike slash account suspension. So, (laughs) so in opposition to everything we've seen about like telltale games and other story-based games that literally just say, stream it, show the world because people buy these games to experience themselves and especially if you have multiple paths and multiple people you can meet and different ways you can go about doing things actually streaming the game makes people want to then go do it themselves and see what they get as an outcome uh i can understand being like don't stream the end of the game or don't stream boss fights um if you wanted to but it just feels weird to send not just a message, but also a highly threatening message um, with that. And and you can read this on the Atlas.com website, but it's the U.S. saying it from Japan. And they even say in here, this being a Japanese title with a single playthrough story means our masters in v- in Japan are very wary about it the whole way that this whole thing is like organized and how it's stated i would not be surprised if homeboy whoever wrote this isn't work for atlas not much longer
1: <laughs> not only not only that this is the exact word for word kind of passage we got in our review code email wow and down to the capital letters like it seems like they just transported it over there to the public statement and then go, "Hmm, maybe we shouldn't be uh putting in the bold and the caps lock <laughs> for this public facing message for the community to see." Right.
0: I don't know, man. It's really weird. But I mean, I understand in print like in general, like you don't want people to do spoilers. But I was listening to uh, Easy Allies and uh, Brandon Jones was like, you know, I think the industry is over obsessing about a person that doesn't exist. Like, who is the person who is trying to avoid spoilers of Persona 5 or any game and then also actively looking out for streams labeled Persona 5 and watching them from beginning to end? Who would do that? Or if someone has an interest in the game, why would they watch it all the way to the point of spoilers? Like, if someone is a spoiler phobe, like, they would avoid all spoilers and they would avoid mentioning, even looking for the game. So I think they kind of are direct asking this from the wrong direction. Like, I would more or less be like, if you're going to stream, please let. Anyone know, like, specifically what aspects you're going to be streaming? Because if you're not going to avoid spoilers, we would like for people to avoid being spoiled on any part of this at all. And it's not like websites go around reporting spoilers for games. Even websites are like, we don't want to ruin it for people to, to see these games. So, yeah, I don't know. It's... It's a weird angle that they're taking this from, especially with the fact that, like, they're actively blocking all streaming and all screenshots from a PlayStation 4. And it's the only game that I know that's, like, blocked everything. I've known games that block, like, ending sequences. um, Like, I think even Horizon blocks the very end of the game. But they're the only one I know that are blocking from beginning to end, no screenshots or anything, and then also sending out threatening messages about this kind of stuff. So, I don't know. It's weird. I,
1: I think the the only games are those Japanese story centric games. So I'm pretty sure I haven't played them, but you might find it in Rampa kind of like that.
0: Oh okay, yeah, I haven't played Danganronpa, so I wouldn't know.
2: I didn't see that in the embargo for uh, the recent one we got, but I guess I mean I guess that was like a a remake one and two.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of open out there. But also, like, this has more gameplay because it's an RPG than a visual novel. Yeah. So yeah. while it still has the story elements, what am I going to spoil, like, with my screenshot that, oh, there's a battle.
2: <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> right.
1: With random dudes. Right. Oh, man. I I don't
0: know. Well... Persona five, everyone. So are you enjoying yeah. the game?
1: <laughs> Is the other I, question. <laughs> I am enjoying the game. It's quite it's quite nice. Uh I'm going to be I'm I started, I'm probably going to finish for tomorrow, an article that will be a little bit kind of more in depth in the first arc. I won't be going into the major story story events or that kind of stuff, but it's pretty much like the I'm not going to mention it here either, other than the fact that it kind of starts out Holding your hand a little bit, mm-hmm. just just because you kind of have to, you have to be very eased into the Persona kind of game. I've talked to my roommate who played Persona Four Golden on the Vita, and he has a, he's got a bunch of playthroughs. He said like, in Persona Four, it starts out like very slow. Like it takes a while. You're in like the kind of combat areas, like not even like combating people early on, like. In Persona 5 you start out you you have a a dungeon you go to it a few times but you also have to prepare in the real world based off of like getting equipment and like getting items that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. you can't explore the world as much as you'd like to mm-hmm. but you have to kind of go through the motions to know kind of what you can do and what's important to the beginning of the story to establish these characters, to establish the Tokyo of Persona 5, to establish what kind of stats or things you should be doing with your time so that once you have free time, you know how to properly manage it.
0: Okay. Yeah, and... I mean, I've only heard a little bit from uh, other people who have played the game or have played previous Persona games. So I know that you go through and you're you're trying to get, like, um, trying to talk to different people, trying to have conversations with all these people. Um, Now... I think that Persona fans do themselves a disservice when they focus so much on that stuff because my entire perception of this game the whole time is pretty much that it is a highly intense dating sim and I had <laughs> <laughs> like I had no idea what like everyone was like oh yeah and then you go into dungeons and I was like well what are do you doing in the dungeons no one ever says like what the purpose of this is but now, like, I actually, like, talked to somebody who, like, really liked the game, and they were like, yeah, so you once you actually get to know these people, when you go into these dungeons, you take on, like, their persona, and you fight, like, these these uh, enemies in these dungeons. Like, during the daytime, it's a school, but then at night, it turns into this crazy area that you have to clear out. So, I think that's, like, a really cool and interesting concept And I think it's been, like, highly undersold, I think partially because people are trying not to do spoilers. But if that's what the game is, like, that's not a spoiler of Persona. Like, that's what Persona is. Like, you talk to all these people to get these relationships so that you can be stronger and more effective in battles in the dungeons later.
1: So I think that's I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, like, when you're trying to avoid spoilers, there's pretty much two conversations it boils down to. Which Persona game is better than the others, and which girl and which boy is the best? Yeah. Yeah. Like, if you... No, I'm not even going to jump into Waifu Wars for previous games I haven't even played, so... (laughs) (laughs) But, uh... But, yeah, not only that, like, if you build up... They're called it used to be called S-links as in social links. Mhm. But uh this time they call them confidants and I'm still going to call them S-links because that's like that's ingrained a and b S social links and S-links are better than confidants. Yeah. Build up my confidants. <laughs> <laughs> um the the more involved you get in someone's life the uh, so, uh you gain more like you gain abilities from your partnership with them that you can take into combat mm-hmm. or improve your standing. Mm-hmm. Not only that, like when you're arranging to do stuff, it'll say like, I'm not sure if my bond will deepen with him. If I hang out with him mm-hmm. or her. So mm-hmm. like it, t- it puts in a weird perspective of, do you waste quote unquote, waste your time spending time with this person? If they're not going to grow their social link or, is it important that I build that up so that they can help me out with their persona link? Cause also based on the type of confidant social link they are, they will improve the type of personas that you acquire that are that type of character. Like for example, if I make friends with this person and their, and their uh, persona confidant link is based on uh Let's say death or whatever, every persona that's aligned with death will get bonuses if you create them by combining two personas.
2: Wow, you know, you had me when you were talking about cute boys, and then you started talking about this, and now I don't care about this game
1: anymore.
0: Wow. Wow. We're back. Cutting in.
1: There's There's a lot of stuff to build
2: sorry yeah the- okay i'll give i'll give persona this so i've never played a persona game but looking i love looking at screenshots and trailers of it because like the ui and the stylistic stuff is just awesome looking crazy
1: it is, it like, is. the battle
2: menu like all the I, I mean i can't even describe it just go look at a screenshot it's just great
1: it's so good yeah i if it,
0: if it wasn't for that like it's definitely a hundred hours thing i would certainly try to play that game but there's too many games coming out and given that like i just don't have the time right now maybe i'll maybe i'll try it like sometime down the road i mean again these games come out they're out forever you can always try them at another time um One thing Persona always makes me wonder about, though, and this goes for, like, Fire Emblem and and other Japanese titles, is why don't more American or European studios do games like this? Like, there is something really cool about actually making a game about establishing relationships with people and how that feeds into, like, your combat and all that stuff. And there's just as far as i know at least i don't know very much that goes into that realm in terms of like rpgs like you get games like the last of us you get games like uh, uncharted from naughty dog and like horizon has it too where you talk to people and you create a relationship but not always does it feed into like actually building your character up or or um helping you move forward through the game. Um, And even horizon has like semblances of this. Um, Depending on how many people you talk to, how many people you help, you actually get more help at the end of the game. So if you didn't help anybody along the way, that last boss fight is ridiculous. But if you did like a hundred percent everything, like you have everyone you like work with along that path, helping you. So like there's, a main enemy there's these outside like um add-ons that are fighting you as well and you're trying to avoid all of them and the more people you have helping the easier it is so uh, i don't know i think it's something that we probably or that i would like to see more games actually like put into play
2: well not to bring up and beat a dead horse but i actually for a long time thought that mass effect 3 was going that way um <laughs> because they well no because they were talking about you know bringing all your allies together for the final fight Mm -hmm. and i when i was playing through it initially i genuinely thought that the people that i helped out were going to like you know show up for the final battle and they kind of like vaguely did in cutscene form but it wasn't in any like meaningful gameplay way and that was just so disappointing
0: yeah um my mass effect 3 playthrough was the uh Everything about it was depressing because all of the people that you worked with in Mass Effect 2, which does do that, you, everyone you get assigned to your crew, those all people you help out, they all come to the last mission and help. And depending on how much of a relationship you have, it actually goes through either for better or worse. But then yeah. Mass Effect 3, all my people died. So, <laughs> like, literally every single person, for the most part, died. And then, obviously, there's the ending of Mass Effect 3, which is like Shepard sacrificing himself like Jesus. Uh, sport. It's been five
1: years since Mass Yeah,
2: we don't need to delve into that. I apologize. Every everyone
1: knows about the colors, so I mean, there right, you go. right.
0: Oh man. Anyway, the, the, <laughs> go, wait. Go ahead, Gigi. I was
1: going to say like the uh, the fortune teller with the colors and the uh, you fold it out. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. pretty much
0: that. Oh man. I mean, I'll. I'm still the person that likes the Mass Effect 3 ending o- overall in general, but even I can just be like, eh, I, I also see why people didn't like it. Uh, anyway, speaking of things that people don't like, what have you been playing, Rebecca Valentine?
2: I've been playing a lot of things. <laughs> um, so I start, oh man, I need to go back like a couple of weeks. So um, I started by playing Has Been Heroes. I've been playing difficult games. I've been playing a bunch of games that are too difficult. And I feel like a giant wuss saying that. But I promise, I have played difficult games that are good. I've been there. I've played some Dark Souls. It's all right. But, like, I've been playing a bunch of difficult games um, the last two weeks that are either unreasonably difficult, unfairly difficult in a not enjoyable way, or they don't give you the tools you need to beat the game so has been heroes i was playing and i guess they actually recently uh released a patch for that making it a little bit easier but i haven't gotten a chance to try that yet um, but that one was ridiculously frustrating because it was it's a roguelike but
0: mm-hmm.
2: you don't you don't gain anything from each new playthrough like you don't there's no you just get set back to square one and whether you get any new tools or better tools or whether the monsters are more difficult or easier than before is just, like, completely up to chance. So you could have hmm. a really good run where you get all the tools you need, and you push through, and you actually beat all the bosses, and you do a great job, and then you get set back and you have to do it all again, except you're given shitty tools, and all the monsters are just crazy hard, and it's, it's just ridiculous and frustrating.
1: So a roguelike?
2: <laughs> no! I mean, yes, but no!
1: I so not every roguelike is like rogue legacy
2: i't have played rogue <clears throat> legacy. i haven't, I haven't no, what are played, you? no, I haven't actually played many roguelikes um I did like Binding of Isaac a lot though,
1: yeah mm. th- you start from square one in that, yeah, um, you do,
2: but the the things that happen in each room are not so. There isn't, like, this weird variation where they either could be doable or they could be so ridiculously stacked against you in the first room that you just never had a chance to begin with. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Um, And then, so then I played Graceful Explosion Machine for Nintendo Switch, which, as far as controls and visual presentation, and I love the HD rumble, all of that is really solid. Um, But my frustration with that game is the increasing difficulty mechanic in that game is putting more enemies on screen. So the more you play just they just throw more things on the screen until eventually there's just it's really hard to move around or do anything. Mm-hmm. And that one I think is th- that's actually a decent game but it was still still a little frustrating. Um I think it appeals more to people who are used to like arcade games, who like racking up high scores and blowing a bunch of things up. Um that one wasn't yep. bad. It was it was just a little on the frustrating side. And then Wait wait then, wait
0: wait before we Wait okay, involved, I'm waiting. Before. I'm waiting. So
2: you can tell I really want to get to this last thing.
0: Graceful so Explosion Machine uses HD Rumble.
2: Yes, I actually really yeah. like that.
0: Alright, so that's now what, three games that use HD Rumble?
2: I mean, probably no. more? I haven't been keeping a, t- a tally.
0: Well, it I know so that 1-2-Switch yeah. does, because they have the weird marble game. The Ice um,
2: Cube Tech, man! <laughs> has-, has been Heroes does, but I didn't I mean, it, I don't really think it mattered too much in that game. Um, mm-hmm. Graceful Explosion Machine uses it, like, you know, for explosions and things like that. Um, but I, I just really like the variation and the pulse. Like, it it kind of, you know, rumbles like a rocket ship. And you can feel the difference between the explosions and between the little alert when you're running low on ammo. Um, things mm-hmm. like that. It's, It's not like it's not spectacular. It's not like changing my vision of gaming or anything, but it's nice that there's like this new idea of using rumble beyond just really, really hard rumble and really, really soft rumble.
0: Yeah. I think that's, well, the reason I mention is because while I think that HD rumble is, um, overall something that probably should have been like more utilized a little bit more in other games where it would kind of make sense. Like, in Zelda, does it <clears throat> excuse me, sorry uh, in Zelda does it like rumble as you're like pulling your
1: arrow back
2: no there it doesn't really use the h d rumble in Zelda does it rumble at all Dan
1: uh, yeah, you definitely feel rumbles, but I think it's not high definition
2: no it's it, i mean it's like like with, when there's an earthquake or something dramatic happening, it'll rumble, mm. but it's not it's not the h d
1: yeah, I don't, I don't think it goes HD when you're doing the very worst part of Zelda, the gyroscopic <laughs> puzzles.
2: Oh, you had to bring that up, to
0: you? Um... Well, I was mentioning it cuz I was thinking with a name like graceful explosion machine. It'd be cool if HD Rumble was like depending upon your proximity to the explosion, it would be able to tell how much it should or should not rumble and then like as you're shooting it like gets more intense and things like that if you're it like It does
2: the second thing kind of. Um there so there's like three different kind of, or sorry, four different kinds of weapons um mm-hmm. and depending on the weapon you're using the amount of things you're blowing up and I don't think proximity is a factor, but I I think maybe on one of the weapons I could be wrong, um, but it, it changes the degree of the rumble. So, like, there's a very clear difference between um, your big, super powerful, single-target sniper kind of beam mm-hmm. and firing a bunch of little bouncy missiles. Like, the feeling is very different, and I really liked that.
0: Okay. That's cool. I mean leave it to nintendo man they have they have great ideas um yeah, useless
2: and useless tech but <laughs>
0: anyway. they have great ideas and then like where you would think that they would use it they don't but i'm glad that we have another person uh or another developer um using it so anyway uh you had a, another game that you had played
2: rain world let's talk about <laughs> rain world
1: it's rainy i've heard
2: yeah it's so rainy um Actually, only sometimes is it rainy. Um, so you're playing as this little thing called a slug cat. It's pretty cute. Um, <laughs> it's uh, separated from... You'd think I would like a cute game, yeah. It's wait, decorated... wait,
1: wait. It's actually called slug cat? You weren't just calling it that?
2: No, I was not just calling it a slug cat. It's actually called a slug cat. I would name it something much cuter, Daniel. Come on.
1: It has cat in it. This yeah, reminds it has me slug of... slug in it. <laughs> it could be a slow cat. Sluggish. <laughs> no. It could be a
0: smelly cat. Oh my God. (laughs)
2: Get out.
1: Are they feeding you? It's
0: okay,
2: Martin. That's
0: not your fault. Hey, that's. Look, I've seen three episodes of Friends in my life. That That was one. And it was worth it. So unfortunately, every other like cat mentioned just includes that, so, so if anyway. you watch
2: the entire series, you realize that every single one of BB's songs is actually just a slight variation on "Smelly Cat.":
0: Pretty much: Well, anyway, this just establishes more reasons why I should not do that. so go <laughs> ahead <laughs>
1: Anyways,:
2: Rain World." So you're playing as a slug cat separated from his family trying to get back home. Um, you're in like this. I guess, post-apocalyptic, kind of industrial, maybe sort of vaguely magical, can't really tell, world. Um, And every cycle or so, there are torrential deadly rains that will kill you instantly. So whenever you are in between those cycles, you have to find enough food, um, and then you have to find a shelter. Um, And if you have enough food eaten, then you can hibernate in that shelter while the rains fall, and then you can come out and basically do it all over again um the reason why this is hopefully not quite as repetitive as it sounds even though it really is um is because you're supposed to you know gradually progress through this strange world and there's like this little yellow alien flower germ stem thing kind of guiding you um forward a little bit um and there's a whole bunch of different areas there's like kind of a garbage dump there's the outskirts i don't know what that is that's where you start there's an industrial complex there's a shaded citadel um I think the moon is in there somewhere. Um, it's, it's just, it's very weird. And the story is very vague. And it, there's a little bit of it that I've experienced. But my primary frustration with Rain World is that you just die a lot, just unfairly. Like you'll go through a tunnel and there'll be a lizard on the other side of the tunnel that will just eat you. And you won't have any warning that there is a lizard there. You won't have any way to prepare for it. Um, and you have to go through that tunnel. So you just, you're progressing and then you just die. And whenever you die, you get reset back to the last shelter you were in and you lose a karma point and you need those karma points to unlock certain doors that you need to progress the game. And so it's very easy to get caught in this heinous loop of just constantly dying over and over again, losing all your karma and not being able to make progress, as you guys saw last night when I died repeatedly in Lizardville. (laughs)
1: Lizardville was lit.
2: It was not lit. It was everything but lit. It was definitely unlit.
0: So, (laughs) you did say that at some point in this game, you found yourself enjoying it. So, what is that point in the game, and why does all of the rest of it not do that?
2: So, there is... At the core of Rain World, there is an attempt to follow this design philosophy that I actually really, really like. And that design philosophy is having the player learn by observation instead of a whole bunch of, you know, clunky tutorials. Mm -hmm. I love it when games nail that. And there was a point about like mm, six or so hours into Rain World where I hit a spot in the game where I couldn't progress unless I did something that the game did not tell me anything about but that I could observe my enemies doing. Mm-hmm. And I did that and I realized that I could do anything that they could do. And I hadn't made that connection yet um, mm-hmm. because of partially because of how vague the tutorial was, but also partially because the enemies have like this weird ragdoll physics to them mm-hmm. where they just kind of flail around. And so very oftentimes you will not see enemies doing anything interesting, or if they do, it's kind of by accident. Um, hmm. But I observed this and it, by imitating them, I unlocked this whole really cool area um, that was just really interesting to explore. There was some storyline in there. Um, there weren't like a gazillion unfair enemies in it. So it was actually a really well-designed area. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure there was a choice that I could have made in there. And I made, I made one choice that actually made the area much harder by accident, um, but it ended up being really rewarding. And I just had a really good time in there. Um, But I got to a point where I couldn't progress without uh, doing something specific, and so I had to go back um, to an area I had been before. And when I got back there, that was when I hit Lizardville, and there were just so many lizards everywhere, and no food, and it took too long to get to the next shelter, and just a combination of horrible things got me stuck in this loop where I just kept dying and losing karma until there was just no hope of me either going back or progressing forward. And that has been my experience in the following six hours that I have played.
0: Well, just to let you know, you're not alone in being frustrated (laughs) in misunderstanding this game, or not misunderstanding, I should say, not really enjoying this game. Uh, The Metacritic score on this is 55. And if you don't trust 12 critics opinion, the uh, Metacritic score for it um, by users is seven out of 10 um that's where the ps4 version the the pc version's at like 65 so it doesn't make that much of a difference and there's not that many more ratings but apparently some people are really liking it um so i uh yeah i mean i wish you all the best in finishing it um if you do so
1: <laughs> uh,
0: yeah personally i'm not a person who thinks that a person has to finish a game with if they're not enjoying it i personally don't think a person has to finish a game to be able to rate and say everything they think is wrong they think is wrong with it like I, it, go ahead
2: i just there's there's apparently like a whole bunch of different areas that i can find and explore and i've only been to i think 4 of them and there's there's just a whole bunch more and i've only seen like the very beginning of the story and it just It feels really bad that I would, you know, have some sort of commentary on this game without getting that far. But at the same time, if I am just sitting there spinning my wheels and there is just no way out of this loop that I've gotten myself in, then I I don't know what else to do.
0: Yeah. It's unfortunate, man. Well, the game that I've been playing is... uh... It's a little bit better than that. Uh, Near Automata, uh, which Ooh. I finished and reviewed on apptrigger.com. I gave it a shining 9 out of 10. Um, I will say, like, if you've ever read anything about science fiction that's ever talked about um, robots, humans, what does it mean to be human, what is humanity, and, and uh, those science fiction novels that actually question all of those things, right? Um
1: Pretty there much any. Is, sorry, I was gonna say pretty much any Isaac Asimov book.
0: Yeah, like Philip K. Dick. Like you pick a person who's big in sci-fi, and they've explored this theme. Like it, it's not something new that's going on here, is what I'm saying. But the way in which they effectively and tonally create the uh, the atmosphere of Near Automata is is. Is really great, and if if you all haven't played it yet, you really should. It's not hard; like you can go all the way to from very easy to very hard. I played on normal because I suck at platinum fighting games, but it takes like you're doing attacks with two buttons. You have a jump, you have a dash, you have like a pod that's with you, and you have a companion. But you go through this story, and it's all about like. What is war? How are people affected by it? What are humans? What are androids? What is a robot versus a machine? What are androids versus machines? And is there, like, when you're looking at two sides of the same coin, can any side really be right? And it's one thing where it questions a lot about our perception of those who we're told are our enemies. So, um, the comparison I made is uh, is World War One. So World War One is this like extreme area of history wherein the entire perception of war by the people who partake in it changes. So there's an entire generation that grew up on the uh, the ideas of the glory and the glamour of war based upon European. Um, being conquerors throughout the 1800s or and the 19 or throughout the 1800s. So then when the 1900s come, there hasn't been a war in like 30 plus years, all based on various treaties and things. And this one event triggers it off. And at the outset of it, by the end, everyone is disillusioned with it. And you have like what they call the lost generation afterward. And when you get to near Automata, your main character is in the midst of this fight, but it's been years that it's been going on and you see that there are people who are weary of it. You see, there are people who are just trying to do anything to get out of this, um, battle that they're taking as rules on high from humans who are sitting on the moon as you are robots fighting on earth against aliens. Um, it's a very interesting idea and a very interesting concept. And I think it explores those ideas pretty well. Um, and yeah, I think you, I think you just should play it if you haven't. Uh, and if you have just hit me a tweet at gotmap 21, G O T M A B 21. And we can talk about it because it is an exceptional game and it sold a million units. And I think that, as long as Yoko Taro and Platinum Games are making games together, I will buy them because that was a incredible experience.
1: It's interesting because i I haven't played much of the original Nier. Mm-hmm. Like I played a little bit, but I got the idea. Like this, there are uh, fairly. They have the same types of gameplay systems, but the Nier Automata has something about its aesthetic, about its approach to the game that. It's a little bit different, not maybe as tedious in parts as the original Nier was. So I am looking forward to playing it. I probably will play it later in the year. It's just, you know, I got to study about Plato's three ideas of what makes up the soul in time for exam time in Persona <laughs> before I do that.
0: Oh, and there... There's one part I forgot to mention, and and I apologize, because I can't remember who the name of the composer is. I'll look it up right now. But the composer for Near Automata, like, oh, my God. So the soundtrack in this game is amazing. So when you are, like, in the early parts of the game, you stumble across this amusement park, um, the... Biggest idea that I think is really cool about it is, I mean, you join and it sounds like um, um, you join there, and it sounds as if you're like actually in an amusement park. Number one, like the robots are in the amusement park. Like you're walking through; it's a peaceful area, but when the actual action starts. They weave in the sounds of the amusement park into the actual like composition of the music. And so you're going through and you're riding a roller coaster fighting enemies with the sounds of like children laughing and like the roller coaster driving by and all these things. And it's like an exhilarating three or four minutes of fighting on this like exceptional ride. And it switches from like a 3D perception to a 2D perception, and then it goes back back to 3d when you finish and there are just moments like that throughout the game and i mean spoilers here just because this is a little bit later in the first playthrough but you run into a like a cult that's like going to um they're a cult that's going to kill themselves and the idea is that now that they can, they will kill themselves because that's how they're going to get closer to God. And so they're screaming like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, like to you, like all over the place. And then they seamlessly invert that into the soundtrack As you're running through, like, this giant factory to get away from them as they try to kill you with them. It is crazy. And it's insane. It, like, it's an impeccable game. And I think everyone should play it. And you should play through all five, like, main (laughs) endings. Like, I... I normally... I gave it a 9 out of 10, but that's only because the side missions can't live up to the impossible standards of the main missions because, like, some of them are just literal fetch quests. Some of them are just, like, walk to this place, kill these things. And in a game that can think outside the box to make you feel, like, the way you do throughout, like, the main story missions, it's just kind of a big letdown when you're doing the side stuff. So, um yeah i play the game just i won't say anymore just play the game (laughs) just play the game that sound
2: (laughs) design sounds amazing i am a sucker for good music and sound design
0: if you get a chance if it's still available just pick up the demo, demo it's like the first 30 minutes of the game and if you listen to that and you like that soundtrack and you like what's playing then just buy the game because it's that All the way through for the main missions. And personally, like, I think the side mission stuff is interesting. I think you can get a lot of perspective from talking with the people and the robots in the areas. But just doing the main mission straight through, like, that was the way that I was able to just be, like, blown away from, like, moment to moment throughout the game. Um, The side missions are a little more, like... Th- you got to just think about what they're saying and why it means anything but you get both of those things going from the main mission from start to finish so yeah I think it's I think it's exceptional
1: all right yeah <laughs> I did I did play a bit of the demo actually no no if the demos uh, if the demos the uh, the one where you are on the thing and then the thing happens suddenly Trying it's, to avoid spoilers. That's the first 30 minutes of the game, man. When you're and on the
2: thing it, <laughs> and the thing happens suddenly, what video game are you talking about? So, I'm
1: trying very hard to avoid spoilers, no. but I, if it's the thing I'm thinking about, then it's really cool that it does that and I like when games do that so the
0: very so the very first part of the game because this is the first 30 minutes this is what they threw out there for free for people to look at so if you don't want to hear that I've given you every lead possible for you not to hear it at this point I'll even yell spoiler so that you know that I'm going to say this but you're running through a factory and everything you're doing through the factory you're like where is this enemy where is this boss where are they at and then you get outside the factory and you start running away and you're and they're like maybe we got to go to the next factory maybe they're there and as you're running away the factory turns into the boss and you turn around and you start fighting the boss and then the music swells and then your companion comes in it the from beginning i'm telling you if you haven't thought about playing this game it (laughs) is an amazing game and you should play it like can't say enough can't say enough (laughs) (laughs)
2: oh i want to play it but i've got too many difficult bad games to play
0: oh man so um before we get to the we're we're still talking about games we've been playing it's been a great week uh but let's talk about walking dead season three and how the well let's talk about walking dead in seasons one through three or season three one through three and see like what, what, what's working with
1: Walking Dead Season 3, Daniel, and
0: what's not working.
1: Okay, so last week I was talking about, oh, you know, I haven't played it, but so far they've been offering this new perspective and blah, blah, blah. They're, that's interesting. Maybe they'll be working towards more of that perspective. Then I played Episode 3, Above the Law, and I soured on that completely. <laughs> so, um... I again I have to avoid spoilers because it is a episodic thing. There's no uh there's no blocking out of screenshots or streaming for this, but uh still I want to avoid. Mhm. Um you start out exactly Im- immediately from the end of episode 2 and uh you find your brother. Mm-hmm. And uh so uh with your brother, you're um you're kind of trying to amend all the uh, old kind of problems that you had over the years. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, that's probably already a spoiler, but at this point, like it, it's, there's already established the, the dynamic between the brothers. So there, it was always going to come back. It was, it was pantomime from the very first episode. Mm hmm. Um, you're, but the thing is, like, while you're still doing this, as the episode unfurls, it becomes less about your needs and your desires and your motivations, and it becomes about the, mo- the issues, motivations, and ideals of others as story events unfold. So at you playing Javier, you're helping this person overcome this problem with these people. Mm-hmm. As Javier, you're helping out Clementine with her problem with these people or sometimes both of them at the same time. Who knows? It's all over the place. But the main point is that your motivations as heavy, are, as heavy air to protect your family and your crew gets intermingled with the events and problems with other people. And that's a problem because heavy air is not really a character anymore. Hmm. He just becomes this point of contention where you're servicing the story of others. And his his part is important because he is a person that exists and ties the knots between other people. Mm -hmm. But it's still their problem. Right. You're involved in other people's problems. So what's his story? His story, you start out the game as... Javier and uh, Kate, they're looking after these two uh, two young kids. Mm-hmm. And over time, it becomes a point where it becomes less about protecting the kids and then more about protecting Kate. Because you, you need to make sure that Kate's doing well so that she can do well by her kids. Because mm-hmm. Javier... Because uh, Kate and uh, the brother... From the very beginning, are married, but they thought he, they thought uh, things were different because you know how people get separated in the Walker Bob- Apocalypse, things happen.
0: All right. So,
1: so I'm again trying to avoid spoilers as much as possible, but most of this is baked into the essential plot. Mm-hmm. It's not con- entirely based off of a, like new or anything anything that's kind of overarching or like event related. Right. But still it, it's still, uh, you're still heavier involved in the problems of others.
0: So what role does Clementine play in all this then? Because everything around episode three of season three is that Clementine's back, and she's back to She's been to back again. since
1: episode one, actually.
0: Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Well,
1: So, uh, well, I, I've been trying to uh, I've been trying to dance around that because Clementine, you're not playing as Clementine. You're playing as Javier, but Clementine helps you out. But the problem is that You've been with Clementine since the beginning, with the exception of the Michonne series and 400 Days, the DLC between Season 1 and Season 2. Mm-hmm. So you are kind of biased towards supporting Clementine. But you're not supposed to, because this is supposed to be a story about Javier. Right. But there are still one moment, I think, in each episode where you go into Clementine's past and you dive into something more related to Clementine's past between season, the events of Season 2 and where you begin in Season 3. They're important to the overall story of Season 3, but for very, very, very specific reasons, I'm not talking about what happens in them, because they are super integral to the problems that persist in Season 3. So...
0: Clementine's not the main character, but she's, her story is still the driving force of the series.
1: Her, her story is still because you've played season one and season two, either with or as Clementine. She's so important to the overall narrative of the story, even though this is no longer supposed to be her story. But because of that, the decisions and choices you make as Heavier are more probably going to be more biased towards supporting Clementine over others because you like Clementine so much. Hmm. Because they've she's built and built up as a sympathetic character, you know, this once little girl, then little a little bit older now, a very young teen, but still grown up forcefully in the apocalyptic world.
0: So are you enjoying the game is probably where this ends up
1: at. I am no longer enjoying this game. Oh. Because I it seems to be the wheels are spinning in motion. Like the the story involved outside of Javier is interesting, but I don't give two shits about Javier anymore. It's it's a it's a big problem because he's the vessel for fun. He's <laughs> right. the vessel for other people having fun. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, the uh, speaking of areas where people may show some kind of bias, there was a reveal and announcement this week. Uh, Let's talk about (laughs) Microsoft's Xbox Scorpio spec reveal done by Digital Foundry, a non-Microsoft aligned entity that reported all of their technical specs from Microsoft's hardware professionals. Um, were you all surprised by this at all? Or did you care? Are you interested in any way in what was revealed on Thursday by Digital Foundry?
2: I have negative interest in this. (laughs) Look, I've got a PS4. I've got a PC. I've got a Nintendo Switch. I've never been an Xbox person to begin with. And a bunch of fancy schmancy specs on something that's going to cost like way too much money. Uh whatever, man. What
1: is too much money for you? That's a good question. That's the question of the week.
0: <laughs> yes, yes it is.
1: Right?
2: Um <laughs> I don't know. I mean like why would why do I need to put down that much money for something that I can play all the same games on on my PC that I have right now.
0: So Just for context, within the Digital Foundry article, based on what they saw that Microsoft was doing, and based on their own estimations of their uh, costs for development and R and D and things, uh, they suspect that it will cost somewhere around four ninety nine, which I think is asinine. It'll be the second time in four years Microsoft has launched a console at four ninety nine, and to be honest, the way in which they're doing their specs, the way in which they've archetyped this whole thing, it's very difficult to say that it'll be that much more worth it versus a product like the PlayStation 4 Pro or for people who own a PC already that do gaming, that it'll be worth upgrading their gaming uh, or it'll be worth paying for this as opposed to just upgrading their PC to do the same things. That's kind of how I land on it. What do you think, DG?
1: Well, um, I think that it it, it it's it's very difficult to kind of gauge just how this will work overall within the Microsoft idea of games as opposed to the Xbox view of games, because this is going to be a very niche console for a very niche group that will pay 499, maybe less, maybe more for games that to be able to play games that are brand new or as dated as Dead Rising 3, which was a launch a launch console game. Mhm. So you that's that's the one thing to take away from this. This is a lot of good specs to play for games that are going to be 4 years old. There's right. n- they've even stated in the kind of uh the dumbing down sessions or the the one of the many articles that Eurogamer put out, you will not suddenly be able to play a 30 fps game running at 60 frames per second. The game itself still sets a frame target and there's no functions for removing performance limits, so you're still playing uh, a 900p 30 uh, 900 pixels, 30 FPS game now at 4K super sampled or upres to be uh, for uh, to be uh, looking sharper, crisper, perform well, not screen tearing, but it's still going to be at 30 FPS. So you're still paying a lot of money for games that perform just as well, just look better. I'm not sure going into the fifth year of the Xbox One that people will be like, hmm, I'm going to spend $500 on a console that will perform better on my 1080p TV as opposed to the Xbox One S, which it will probably at at $500 for the Project Scorpio will be half the price. Like, it makes no sense to me.
0: I I don't even think it'll be half the price. I think... The Xbox One S will likely be two hundred dollars this holiday. Like,
1: yeah, it could be depends depends on the which one because the very cheapest one is uh, five hundred gigabytes. Then there's a one terabyte hard drive. Then there's a two terabyte.
0: I forgot how complicated Microsoft's lineup <laughs> is. Um, <laughs> Well, I guess but that the thing is, too.
2: like we've been we've been jumping on these guys for like the last two podcasts about how there's just like nothing to play on the Xbox. I mean, we spent a whole segment last time listing a whole bunch of games that are not really that notable for the Xbox. Um, so, what, like, why? What what is the motivation to purchase this, even if the money was not the option?
1: It's if you have the money to. You don't have enough money to buy and build your own PC. But you do have enough money to almost get there.
2: Almost.
1: Well, that, and that, so here's the other part about this. If
0: you can afford a 4K TV with the best settings right now to actually take advantage of this stuff, like the 4K HDR, the problem with it is, is that there's no industry standard yet. Like, there's no bottom line 4K standard performance you know you're going to get across the bat like it varies widely because once you get into that level of detail that's when you start having to know everything about well how deep are the blacks within the within the settings how bright does it go what type of brightness does it use is it using led brightness does it have like sony has these new ones that like have a like um led emitter that just emits a backlight all the time and you can turn it on or off. Like you have to have all of this knowledge of like technical specs of TVs just to know which one's going to give you the best picture to enjoy your 4k games on. And while, yeah, you can get whatever 4k TV it'll be in 4k pixels, but you still, if you're going to be this discerning where you're going to say, I'm not going to pay for the less expensive PlayStation 4 pro I'm not going to pay for the um, currently existing products on PC that you can buy that will get you to there. I don't want to do that. I want to spend over $1,000 on a TV to make sure I can watch uh, movies and games in 4K. And then I'm going to pay $500 for this. Like, that's $1,500. And it's not... There's not enough that they're talking about that you're going to be able to do, and they're not showing any games for you to do this with. Um, I guess you could do it with what I mean, whatever they have coming out. Like I'm sure we'll see a Halo, a Forza, and all these different things this year. Like I'm sure there'll be a sequel to Ori. I'm sure there'll be something coming down the line. That they'll want to use to showcase this off, like Ori and the Blue, or what is it, Black, Blind?
1: Orion and the Blue Forest. Oh,
0: no. <laughs> Orion and the Blue, simple. Black, Blind, whatever that's it is, simple. Ori and the Blind Panda. Um. <laughs> oh, that's so cute.
1: Um, and
2: the little
1: panda tumbles over. And, oh, it's oh, oh, oh. But, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna deny. It. I did cry during the opening do or in the blind forest.
2: You are not a. You're a robot if you don't cry. I
1: what? Are you denying my tears?
2: No, no. I'm agreeing with you. I'm Shoot. saying if you didn't cry, then I'd be convinced you were a robot.
0: Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. So but
2: I can play that on my PC. That's not like a graphics heavy game. That's. Do you, do you,
1: but so, no. Continue. Sorry.
0: I... I was going to say that if you did do Ori and you had a sequel, like beyond the definitive edition, but if you had a sequel that used all those same color patterns, but included HDR and put it in 4k, it would be a graphical showcase of a game. Just the way that like Rezogun as a game, when it came out for the PS4, it as a showcase was all about, here's how many things we can put on the screen on, on the screen and individually break apart with all of these pixels. Like, it was designed specifically to show off how much more things could be displayed on screen at once for the PS4, and Ori would be a great showcase for this. And if I was the person running Microsoft Studios, I wouldn't have said a word about the specs until I had something concrete that I was going to put up in front of everyone and post online and say, this is the proof of concept of what we're putting out instead of having richard let better go up there i have to play marketing professional to try to convince people <laughs> that they need to buy an xbox one like or who i who knows what know. this thing's going to be named it has to be named xbox one but what is xbox it xbox one something xbox one infinite xbox one
1: plus xbox just one
2: xbox pro one i don't view. know <laughs> just,
1: just uh just scale it down xbox one s oh god damn it <laughs> Already did do that. You, so,
2: do either of you guys? I mean, I know why we won't buy it, but do you guys think this will actually sell? Like, are people going to buy this, or is this, like, this going to be a will, giant joke?
1: I think the, it. It all. First off, it all depends on the price, but I think it will sell a bit better than the PS4 Pro. The problem is that the PS4 Pro will probably, if they if they're smart, be if it's if they're smart and the Scorpio is four ninety nine, will cut the Pro down to three forty nine. And then you have a $150 difference for about two teraflops more data uh, power in the GPU, four extra uh, GDDR5 uh, RAM, a uh, lot more memory bandwidth, and uh, the same type of uh, hard drive and a 4K Blu-ray. Well, here's the thing, though. And so when you're talking about,
0: like, the specs, like the other thing you have to talk about are the outcomes. And it's like... Yeah, you're paying that $150. You can name off all of those things you just named. But when Richard Ledbetter for the last year has been saying, man, I really can't tell the difference between a checkerboard 4K and a native 4K render, then at what point is he going to now? like, and not saying that he's going to do this, but when you're talking about, like literally he's been saying like you can't tell the difference between a GTX 1080 and what a PlayStation 4 Pro is pulling off for a 4K game then at that point you're kind of like well i how do you justify spending that much more money for this one but and,
1: you have to you have to realize too that not everyone owns an Xbox One or PS4 yet like this true. is we're we're in the peak kind of downturn for in terms of a console life cycle. We're entering the fifth year of the PS4 and the Xbox One. So this is the time when consoles are supposed to be in that $250, $200 range so that those final legs of a life cycle before you turn over to the next console generation make it easier for someone who hasn't bought in yet to buy their console. And the inevitable Grand Theft Auto V purchase that every one of these <laughs> consoles comes with. So when you release a console that's this powerful to play games as new as um as uh, as new as Halo Wars 2 or as old as Fighter Within, which I think is a launch console with this, uh the Kinect, mm-hmm. you uh I don't understand the reasoning behind it at this point, when you have Microsoft supporting Xbox gaming on Windows 10. You can already, yeah. you can play uh, when they say you don't, you have games that hit target, rendits, or, sorry, target uh, frame rates, you can expand that on PC gaming if you have an Xbox game. So why not if you're going to put the money down, why not improve upon what you have on a PC and build towards having a gaming experience, the Xbox gaming experience on a Windows 10 computer.
0: I mean, I'm in agreement with you, man. It's, the way I see this is, like, once upon a time, like, I was talking to an engineer friend of mine, and we were talking about the S series for all the iPhones that come out and every other thing. And she was like, Oh, don't worry about that. Literally. The only thing they did was they took an existing chip and they do a process that we call respinning, where you just optimize what exists on the chip already, put it back in the thing and it works better. That's all they're doing. And they charge you the same price as if previously it co- it was going to cost you so much more just to get this, extra bit of performance out of it, but it's not that difficult of a concept. And when you look at this, like Richard Ledbetter is trying to say, you know, really nice things about the customizations of the chip, but this is still a Jaguar core at the heart of this. Like Jaguar is the chip software that runs the Xbox One S. It's the chip software that runs PlayStation 4, PlayStation 4 Pro. It's the thing that everything is being built on right now. And it to me, the biggest thing that's weird about this is Microsoft could have waited a year, waited for the new chipsets from AMD Ryzen or whoever else is in this field that wants to get in, worked with them to make a better chip to move forward with, start a new generation, and start over. This is like doubling down within this generation, which as much as people want to talk about it, the fact is like economically, the Xbox one is a failure because at this point, going into the end of their fourth year, uh, I put the post or uh, put the question on the twitter thing for the podcast, which is the xbox three sixty had sold thirty eight million units by this point in a recession the p s four surpassed that by the end of year two. The uh, we like blew through that, even through a recession, but it was a lean price, a recession priced product. So when they're talking about we're going to release this, and they're like it's really niche. The whole idea is that they know that this isn't going to be the thing that's going to catch them up sales wise, and I don't understand why if they know that they wouldn't try to then do the backwards compatibility stuff. Do everything to make everything 4K and all that stuff. Wait a year, though. Let 4K TV prices drop and then say, you go, you buy your Samsung TV, the Xbox, uh, Xbox on Windows 10 experience you've been having where you've been playing all these four games, you can buy it now for $400. And that is a better sell than this, which they're still saying that they're going to use checkerboarding for some games because not every game is going to be able to hit 4k 60 frames per second they're going to have all the same issues of the playstation 4 pro where they're going to be relying on developers to go back patching games to open them up to use that extra cpu power so i don't know it it's a weird thing i don't know if anything what it will do because like rebecca said at the end of the day, you still come down to what am I even playing specifically on this machine that I can't play in 4K elsewhere? And that's the question they have to answer more than how many teraflops does the GPU run at?
1: The only teraflops. thing I can think of that paves the way to the future of Xbox gaming is that this device is to kind of get Xbox back into the notion that we can compete with a P- with Sony and the PS4 produce a console that will last or a, a high-end console that will last at least 2 years before maybe in tw- for the fall 2019 schedule release the Xbox next that's the only way I can think that it makes sense because you 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 use that 2 years to build up the kind of the kind of groundswell so that it you have a co- console that's more powerful than the PS4 and kind of use that to push forward the games that you'll talk about at uh, E3, at Gamescom, at Paris Games Week. They don't really go there, but you know, these kind of events for the end of the year.
2: Do you think they've got like, any interesting exclusives that they're going to drop at E3 that are going to make us all, you know, just drop our drinks and go like, whoa,
0: we I heard about we heard about all of them at E three twenty fourteen. So that's the
1: problem. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh man, I'm looking so forward to playing Scalebound on the Project Scorpio.
2: I knew you were going to quote your own tweet there.
1: Yeah, yeah, call I'm, it.
0: yeah. I'm also looking forward to playing Crackdown three with the power of the cloud, aka. Oh my
1: AD- god, I forgot about the power of the cloud. They they said that Crackdown uh, the cloud would allow the like the buildings to destroy like in um, AI based functions or something like that.
0: Yeah and well the other part was that was supposed to only be in multiplayer. So if you played the single player you had to still run it on the shitty Xbox One as opposed to running it in the cloud.
1: So it didn't make any difference anyway. That's I, right. I forget. Oh my god. That, <laughs> that's the blast processing of this generation. <laughs> well at least blast processing.
0: They were advertising it with a game and it came out this didn't even come out. They're, they're literally going to have to be like, yeah, so remember how we were going to leverage Azure to be able to do that? Well, instead, we built this machine, so buy Crackdown for this. Like,
1: I, it's... <laughs> man, I do think that M- Microsoft knows they have to come forward with games at E3 to make people forget about bound and Platinum games getting screwed over. So I think they will come up with stuff It's just, how far is that stuff down the line? Xbox has been pretty good with talking about games ahead of E3, showing a bit more, and then having them out at the end of the year. As opposed to PS4 and Sony, who are just like, here's five games, one of which will have an actual release year, Mm -hmm. let alone a release (sighs) date. Hey. But, um,
0: But that's the thing, though. What Rebecca's asking is... Can Microsoft show anything? And the thing that Sony captured is that people, as long as the game comes out for this system, and even sometimes if it doesn't, like The Last Guardian, but as long as you are saying this game will be on this platform, then people will like They, they will follow along with Miyamoto's rule that if a game gets delayed, it's better than a bad game being released. And they will just continue to quote that until they see it at their doorstep and they'll buy it. And the longer they, and they also know the longer you let a game go out there, the worse it can possibly get if it doesn't feel like it's getting reined in. And so that's why the order got pushed out there. Despite the fact that that game wasn't at all finished, it was halfway done. And they've pushed like other games out there knowing that like, we have an entire lineup that other people are excited for. Microsoft has to start announcing some things further into the future, because otherwise, like, who's still excited for Crackdown? It's been three years since it was announced. Who's excited?
2: I think I knew about it once, like, a couple of years ago, and then I just, like, forgot about it, and this is the first time i thought about it.
0: <laughs> well, remember, so Fable Legends, that got canceled. The Scalebound, that got canceled. The huge thing that was going to be the reinvention of that card game that was coming out, Phantom Dust, that got canceled. Now it's just a remaster. Just a remaster. like, Like, their biggest thing is going to be the perception that no games are coming out for their system. So while I applaud, like, yeah, only announce a game that's going to be released in the next six months. That strategy only works as long as you have a cranking engine of games coming out microsoft hasn't had that they haven't announced a game in 11 months that's going to come out again like they haven't announced any new titles e3 this year will be the first time that they announce something new that's coming out and that's a well somebody little birdie said that they have something coming type of thing like that's not a definite like i know exactly what this is that's going to come out for them and, you know, they'll probably get some marketing deals with some companies to show things off. They'll probably, like, swoop in and take some of the marketing deals that Sony can't do because they're paying for Battlefront, Battlefield, and Destiny 2 this year. Like They'll
2: probably take, like, 20 <laughs> minutes of their E3 presentation to show us this Xbox thing, whatever they call it. Yeah.
0: And at the end, they have to be able to say, we have games coming for this. So that six months thing is, like... Water under the bridge, man. Phil Spencer, what do you have coming out? Like, no, I don't care if it doesn't come out until 2020. What do you have coming to this system that is going to be worth it for people to look at? And they did that at launch. Like Halo 5 was announced at launch in this huge CG trailer. And from there, they've released the Master Collection. And then they had Halo 5 come out. And I'm not saying Halo 5 is a good game, but that's a two-year lead-up to a game that was anticipated, whereas they give some of these other games only, like, six months or Crackdown is four years. Like, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah,
1: well, well, they'll have the week before to talk about a few games, maybe even, like, tease some stuff. There'll probably be another a game released or talked about before then. But you also have to go back to you're talking about how uh uh, memos had a delayed game um oh he was talking about delayed games i'm just reminding you that federation force was delayed at least twice and that (laughs) game was a piece of shit hey i'm not saying that he's right i'm saying that people (laughs) will quote it as
0: a reason why they're not worried about a game like you see that all the time with games like people were still excited for the last guardian 10 years later. People still get excited for Final Fantasy XV 10 years later. Like, people will be excited for a game when it's finally coming. It doesn't really matter when, as long as what you show them is compelling and interesting and seems like the game that they originally wanted to play in the first place. That's why people got excited when they were like... Uh when the guy from Disney came out last week and he was like, Oh yeah, the new Spider Man game for PS4, oh that should be coming out later this year. And (laughs) Insomniac was like, There's no release date yet. But people were excited because they were like, Well, nobody thought this game was coming before twenty eighteen and the end of twenty eighteen. So the fact that they'll get a game that looks this good with a beloved character that soon, that was gonna be cool. But nobody's gonna care if it then gets if they announce that it's a 2018 game. They'll just be like, oh man, I still can't wait until 2018 to play Spider-Man. And they'll play everything that's in between there. So I don't know. Like I feel like even Nintendo knows this. They announced Fire Emblem for next year, this year, because they were like Oh, yeah. Everyone's saying we don't have anything beyond this year. Well, here's an example of what's coming. And they'll do the same thing at 3. Here's an example of what's coming next year. You already know what's coming this fall. And for Microsoft, we know what's coming this fall. We have Crackdown. We have all these other old games that they haven't released yet that are going to come out now. We'll likely get some sequels. Go ahead.
1: Sea of Thieves, maybe.
0: At least a beta. Or something. Something's going to come out from that game and we'll, we'll move on from there and they'll keep going on and showing other stuff hopefully and if they don't I mean that's, that's, tri- that's releasing a console at a premium price and then giving it nothing to go with um, so yeah anyway that was a lot of talking about Microsoft we gotta stop doing this
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like the, they earn the week they earned the week they, they they
0: they and I will say they're in the most interesting position right now. Like Nintendo's position is one where it's like everyone Nintendo's position is one where it was like everyone's trying to figure out exactly what they're going to do next. But now we know, we see what's coming, everything's going on. Now the other position is now we have a titan of the industry, Microsoft, who has other interests outside of video games that cost them far less money that is going to try to reestablish itself as a dominant platform. Like, there's no way, like, this was the, uh, this was Microsoft's Donald Trump moment where they came out and they said, we're bigger, we're better, and you're going to buy it. And this is why. And we'll see. And I think it's a very interesting position to be in, but I certainly don't envy Phil Spencer.
1: <laughs> it 's going to be huge,
0: <laughs> oh man! So there was one other big announcement this week, and yeah we 're going pretty long here, but we 'll keep this one short, but Mass Effect Andromeda uh talked about their path forward because uh, as everyone is aware, there have been multiple videos talking about multiple things about what 's wrong with Mass Effect in terms of its technical issues. Um, there's also people who think that the game itself is just unfinished, which as someone who's played a good, bit of it, I think that's a bit unfair. Like it's not an unfinished game. What you bought is a finished product, but their announcements sort of brought out the question of should you buy a game at launch or should you wait until you see what people pronounce as the path forward, as they said, for their games and see when the game will be in its final
1: state before you buy it Um, well it's it's kind of two-pronged too because sometimes you have games that will have initial story that will be expanded upon in a non substantial or fairly substantial ways depending on the game like for example Final Fantasy 15 was kind of the first one to be to not only just drop story DLC but also to change the contextualization of certain chapters so that they make more sense or even release content that will explain the different perspectives of other people to give context for people who originally played the game straight up. And that's interesting because when people say, like, I've seen headlines for the Mass Effect stuff about, oh, now they're releasing early access games. No, they're just pushing out a game before the end of the marketing quarter to get their shares up. That's a very hard line stance and different than, oh, we're going to plan to have this game segmented and then add in free content to contextualize the story is two different things.
0: Yeah. But I also think that for Andromeda, they had already said prior to launch, they were going to be providing free DLC for the game and obviously post launch support. Like I didn't see anything in there outside of changing like the Hanley Abrams script and changing like some of the, uh, no, no, I didn't see anything else that was changing the story of Mass uh, Effect.
1: The, they are changing the male romance uh, options of a male writer, and that's a huge thing, especially when it comes to building these characters. True, I,
0: I guess it's just because I'm more or less thinking about like the way I play the game. Like the romance stuff is just like fun on the side. Like to me, that is like if. Uh, that's kind of, To me, that's kind of like when The Witcher 3 added in, like, all those extra missions and stuff like that. Like, it's, un, it's non-contextual to the actual story of the game, but it is something fun, extra for people to do. And I appreciate them do, for doing that. Like, for those people who are homosexual that wanted to have more options, like, I'm glad that they're doing that. But I didn't think that there was a... I don't think that that is the same as um, what people are saying about Final Fantasy 15, where they literally went in and like when you bought the game, it downloaded a patch to add a scene from a movie that's not even in the game to be able to add context to what was going on because they realized they didn't put it in there. And then they've also added a option for the chapter 13 that everyone criticized. Now there's an option to play it from a different perspective. And that wasn't there at launch all the way back in December. So I just think Mass Effect is doing things that are more in line with what you would expect. Just because even with The Witcher 3 as an example... They retooled everything about the UI about that game. Like everything about playing it in terms of combat is nothing like what it was when it launched, which was slow and clunky. And now, it's less slow, less clunky, has a better UI, but that's not what it was at launch either. So, while I agree, like there's there's, there's a semblance of a question of why should I buy this at launch? I'm not sure that question was ever in was ever not needed to be asked in the first place considering that you could buy a game a year later for twenty dollars for the last ten years so why would you ever buy a game at launch when you have no, to but, pay the, but the, hold on but the
2: narrative around that is all these companies are pushing so hard for you know pre-orders and all these pre-order bonuses and all this other stuff i mean you like i, I think was it last week when mm-hmm. i asked you why you would pre-order a game you were going on about why you might pre-order a game and they're pushing this so hard so people who are pre-ordering it are getting it day one and if they're taking the time to do that so they can download it so quickly they obviously care about playing it right when it comes out Mm -hmm. but they get so far in the game you know those first couple days or weeks only to find that after they've already beaten it or come close that the whole thing's changed i mean it's it's a conflicting narrative and it's kind of frustrating i think for a lot of people
0: Well, I I wouldn't say it's not frustrating. I absolutely think it's frustrating. And for the record, I would preload and pre-download Destiny because I watched Destiny 1 from the moment that I bought it to review it, played it to completion, and then they supported it with free patches for the next three years, adding in stuff. And that was story stuff as well as events and all these other different things. And I think that's a different kind of game from Mass Effect to Andromeda, which has a multiplayer component, it's going to get free DLC, but the story is what it is. Right. And I
2: mean, That's additional content on top of that that you can go back and play, but your initial experience of the game hasn't changed. But mm-hmm. now they're changing things that make up your single player go through the campaign experience, and that's maybe frustrating to people who have already beaten it. Like, why would you start over?
0: Well, I guess... Th- for me, the question is: it's like, would you rather it be like the old days? They release it, and then they just say that's the game. And for those people who were homosexual who wanted more options, if they never patched that in, is that like does it make a? Well, I guess the question is: Does it really make a difference if they patch these things in or not? If you wanted to play the game in its original state, because there are people who are upset. That Final Fantasy 13 decided to add anything into the game, or change anything, or not 13, but 15, uh, decided to change anything about the game because they were like, "Stand by your story, make it your story, and 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 hold on to whatever it was that you thought was the best way to play the game." And when people complained, they sent out a survey. They asked what people liked, didn't like. And then they've created a plan to adjust for the next year based upon what people who bought the game said. And I think that that helps for players later, but I think that's what you run the risk of when you buy any game Like at this point just because it's so easy for them to go back and say, well, players complained about this, 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 and this. In order for new players to come in and enjoy the game more, why don't we fix this? And at that point... I don't know if that's something we should be really downplaying as much as, like, being... I, I guess that's that's the frustrating part for me, too, where it's like, I don't know the line to draw where I say, it's okay for them to go back and patch this game versus it's not okay for them to release the game in the state that it's in. Because I guess it just depends on the severity of what's changing. I thought The Witcher's changes were rather severe i didn't even know how to play the game a year later um but at the same time i'm playing mass Effect right now i noticed the eyes changed but that didn't change like the overall way that i felt about the game
2: right and i want to be clear i'm not like knocking them adding another romance option for Ryder. i
0: mm-hmm.
2: i don't have a problem with that um but weren't there well And that wasn't the only change weren't there other significant differences
1: um as of this patch, they've uh, updated the eyes so that lady doesn't look as tired. They mm-hmm. uh they changed the <laughs> zigzag motions.
2: I can't, I can't get over that dialogue line. Oh my god.
1: So bad. Oh sorry, I I'm I'm a bit tired now. <laughs> but um
2: My eye my eyes are tired was <laughs>
1: so um in addition to the eyes they've also um Improved your walk animation so that you uh, don't walk like a gorilla anymore <laughs> they um, they uh they've improved animation so that when you are um when you're tra- fast traveling to a different planet or getting to the place where you pick the planets you travel to the animations are cut down so you don't have these long series of animations that just slow down your gameplay mm-hmm they also have a diff- a little bit of cutscene animation improvements not too much in the next 2 months they will be expanding the the full uh, cutscene animations they will be expanding the uh dialogue between f- between you and uh the Hanley uh c- character the um
2: and that was needed yeah that was
1: that was needed immediately but um Ugh. uh then they're going to improve the male options with uh writer but the um, So th- that's more of like an immediate fix and as immediate as you can fix these problems because you still need to write these, the Hindley, uh dialogues better. You do have to create an, a space where she is comfortable uh, explaining uh, why she is her character
2: right.
1: and uh, you have to voice it, you have to animate it, you have to build all these new scenes. So that kind of understa- is understandable. Shouldn't have happened in the first place, but... The, it will take time and they can't do it on a flip.
0: Yeah. Well, the other thing, here's the here's the biggest thing that I noticed that people were upset about. And this one is kind of where I'm like, it's at that line where it's like, sh- what, is the, what is the limit in terms of what they should add after? And this is where they add options to the character creator. Because everyone who made characters in the past two, like over the next couple of months until they put the new character creator options in their characters are going to look just as weird and ridiculous as some of the characters that I've seen are like the character creator actively is bad in mass effect Andromeda and it's bad because they tied it to how you create or or who the father is. So if you make a black character, you have a black father. You make a light, uh, light skin character; he's light skin, he's darker skin. All these different things. Like it's not random; it's based on what you create your character as and what you create your brother as. So adding more options and variety into the character creator is an actively big difference for people who play the game. But again, that's kind of like it's still like an, it's an aesthetic thing. Like they're not going in and changing like the actual nature of the game in and of itself outside of the male romance options. Everything else is like improving appearance, decreasing costs, improving voiceover lip sync, fixing writer's movements, improving latency and matchmaking. Like everything's improvements and, while i wish every game could be like horizon zero dawn where the biggest <laughs> the biggest improvement they released was uh being able to sell items in bulk as opposed to one at a time like
1: oh so good
0: <laughs> that was the only thing that they changed that i was like god damn it but (laughs) but other than that like everything else was like oh yeah well we found we noticed that some people when going on a mission would have this happen so we fixed that oh we noticed when people were going on this mission would have this happen so we fixed that and so like i wish every game could be that but when we get into these like huge scope expanding wide projects it's it's just weird to me that, like it really feels like Bethesda is the only studio that gets away with putting out any game that always has jank up the wazoo, and people jank will up go the wazoo. <laughs> like it's it doesn't make any sense how janky that game is
1: and it does make sense because it's on a very, very old engine <laughs> well, what oh, I mean is like I think it's the oblivion engine <laughs> i um.
0: I played Skyrim on PS3. I stopped playing it because the game glitched out. I was in a oh, mission. So I, I couldn't find someone who was needed to complete the mission and I just said fuck this game and I never played it again. My friend I was don't... like go
1: ahead. I remember jumping into a, uh, this dungeon begins and you jump into a bo- uh, a body of water as soon as your body goes under that water level it crashes. <laughs> that's a known bug and that's they might have Fixed in the last few years, but it 's been a few years since I played, or
0: fallout three, you end the game of Fallout three, like and it just ends, even though if you had stuff left over, it just stops you can 't go back you can 't do it anymore, but like every other game at that time was like, Oh, you finished your open world game, go do everything else, and it just ended, and some people called it a bug, some people said that it was the way they 've wanted it
1: but it feels weird that... They, a... ch- they changed that, by the way. Did they? Yeah, as soon as the DLC came out. Uh, how old is Fallout 3? I think I can talk about spoilers for the ending. Yeah, you can go uh, ahead. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, it ends with the... Oh, there's um, there's a fix with the water supply thing, and there's a lot of radiation. So instead of your super mutant buddy who is impervious to radiation poisoning, you have to do it for some reason. I felt that was dumb
2: some
1: reason. And um <laughs> so by you doing this you save the wasteland by purifying the water. Um in once that you have DLC that allows to go uh there's DLC specifically for I think after the game with the Brotherhood of Steel mm-hmm. that um uh you go to operation or yeah, I think you go to Anchorage and you uh, do that but either way you wake up in like a hospital bed. <laughs> so the game does can be explored after
0: that. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, but
1: yeah, that see, was one... they they fixed the ending. <laughs> that was Yay! one of
0: those times that my friend mentioned to me where I was like, so Fallout 3, he was like, yeah, you had to buy DLC to go back and play like all the missions you didn't finish. And I was like, that seems kind of weird. I don't know. But I mean, just to get back to Mass Effect, um, the only reason I brought that up is that it... I would rather, because of the experience I had with Skyrim, where I was like, I can't believe that I'm playing this game two to three years later, and there's still a missing NPC that stops me from completing progress. Like, why is that the case? And I know that Fallout games are difficult. I know Skyrim games are difficult. But every game is difficult. Every game asks you to do more and more each and every year. And... As these studios expand to do this, like, I feel like there has to be some give in terms of, like, we can't keep saying, well, you know, back when I bought my Nintendo 64, I bought the game and that was the game and I don't want to have any other games that I buy until they're finished. And it's like, well, no games ever really finished like there's a ton of clipping and there's a ton of issues with mario 64 as a game but you enjoy the game regardless and what i think is happening is that the developers are seeing these things obviously they don't want bad press around the game like mass effect saw so they're like we're gonna fix it but there comes a point where like uh not batman arkham which was hey we can't fix the pc version good luck but more like assassin's creed unity where they got it to the point where it runs it they got rid of all of the worst of the glitches and they were like we're done patching it and they left it at that and i don't know i'm rambling at this point i i I just think it's a complex issue
1: let me just make this analogy maybe it'll break it down like when you're making a video game, it's like you're making a pizza. You 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 roll up the dough. You got your um, you're you're putting flour down. You're putting the sauce. You're putting the cheese on. You're putting the ingredients. It's much fun. You put it in the oven. It's it's cooking. It's baking. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, if you bring out the oven, you can still put hot sauce. You can still put garlic uh on the top. You can still do all these things. It's it may not be the same pizza you had before, but it's still pizza. Yeah. And did still you know pizza. did you know that the Hawaiian pizza was invented in Chatham, Ontario and is the most popular pizza in Australia?
2: There's our Canadian fact Good. of the day. That is your
1: Canadian fact of the week. <laughs> oh, we got it. And on
0: that note, it's almost time to get out of here. <laughs> That's uh, a good
2: note. This is wrong, Re-
0: Rebecca, let's tell the people where they can find you.
2: <laughs> I'm not. I'm not doing this again. <laughs> I tried this last week. You tried to make me spell my Twitter handle. Oh, uh, spell it. Oh my God. At our on Twitter, it's like our valentine, which is my last name. Except you spell it like valiant, like you're a brave person.
0: Right. All right.
1: Okay. <laughs> totally normal.
0: And where can we find your writings at, ma'am?
2: Apptrigger.com. And? Are you, oh, am I going further with this?
1: To I'm, everywhere. I'm, running, I'm running to for put a put everything out right there. Pokemon
2: site now, too. Come to ViridianForest.com.
1: Is that Viridian like you are brave? <laughs> That was actually a good one. Oh I'm not going to lie. You know what?
2: You know what? You try finding a Twitter handle. Well, oh, no, your name is Daniel George. You can't find a Twitter handle. That's
1: right. That's why I have to put it's Daniel George. ITS Daniel George.
2: But is it Daniel George, is it?
0: <laughs> it is. <laughs> oh man. And where else can we find you at Daniel
1: you can find me, of course, at apptrigger.com. You can also, if you are a Survivor fan and you are upset about the last episode and a legend going out, you can uh, talk to me about it uh, and, uh, and with us all at survivingtribal. survivingtribal.com for all of your Survivor needs. Ding! <laughs> <laughs> oh man and then you can
0: all find me at g-o-t-m-a-b-2-1 that's got map 21 aka red fox and you can also find the podcast at screen looker pod on twitter at screen looker pod on soundcloud we're working on itunes i'll have it to you soon i got a day job though it takes a long time to make these logos and uh then you can also find us on YouTube as well as Twitch, all at Screen Looker Pod. So go out there, find us, like, support, let us know what you think. Um, we'll come back next week. And before we leave, have any of you turned on your Xbox One this week?
2: Don't own an Xbox One. <laughs> what do you want from me?
1: I, I watched uh, Louis C.K.'s new 2017 special on an Xbox One. oh oh oh. Oh. yes (laughs) yes i did oh man is the
2: xbox one the new wii u bedroom netflix box
1: this is a front room netflix slash plex box
2: yes plex Plex box what
1: oh it's plex box one stop for all your plex needs
2: Um, I'd ask, but we got to turn this thing off. Yeah, we
0: do. So as we leave, I leave you with a quote from the great Andrew Ryan. We all make choices in life, but in the end, our choices make us. Goodbye, everybody.